Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Kim, thank you so much for sharing some of your story and for being an example of what it is to engage our world for Jesus. And uh, good morning, Southbridge Church family. It's uh, great to be back. I was gone last week. My wife and I were in Israel touring the Holy Land and uh, being able to see some historic sites and some great places and some people have asked us, are you going to share all about that? No, I'm not this morning, just so you know. Uh, We're planning on leading a trip in 2020, so if you want to know all about Israel, you can come with us then. Uh, But the hope is that it'll just kind of ooze out. Uh, Some of the stuff that I learned and experienced while I was there, stories that I'll share uh, with you. Um, If I brought a slideshow and told you all the experiences we've had, you'd be here until Tuesday, and I don't think anybody's looking forward to that. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to open up the scriptures like we normally do uh, on a Sunday morning and ask God to change our lives. We've been doing this series called Transformed, and in this series what we're doing is we're talking about we, we exist as a church to connect people to Jesus for life change, But we're doing transform because we're asking, how does God do that? How does he transform us? How does he change us? And last week you heard a great message from Pastor Dave as he was talking about one of the things that that God does is he equips us to love and serve one another. And you had an opportunity to get into a small group. If you weren't here last week or weren't able to get into a small group, you can still do that. Go out to the information table today or check on your your connection card that you're interested in that. We'd love to do that. Uh, And today we're going to move into the next distinctive, which is engaging our world for Jesus that you heard Kim already share about. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Really focusing on verse 8 today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And I'm going to pray for us that God will speak to our hearts as, as we open up the Scriptures together. Let me pray. Father, thank you that we can open up your Word. And uh, God, will you rebuke any of us here that would come and go through religious motions, that just come to church because it's Sunday, or just shake hands because that's what you do in the lobby, or just open the Bible because that's what happens. God, don't let us go through the motions today. Will you transform us? Will you change us? Will you light a fire in our hearts that, that burns so that we are passionate about you, that we wouldn't be apathetic, we wouldn't be lukewarm, you wouldn't want to just chew us up and spit us out of your mouth, that we'd be hot or cold, that some people today would decide to walk away from you and realize they don't really have a relationship with you and not play church. And that some people, that you would light in our hearts a revival of what you desire to do, and for some, you just continue to fan that flame. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How many of you here have a show that you watch? Like, and, and, and you can raise your hand up. You can be proud of it. I won't ask you what the show is. Some of you are one. Now the hands are going up. Wasn't that funny? <laughs> See how that went? It's like, is he going to condemn watching TV? I have a show. I don't know. Uh, yeah, most of us here have some show. Maybe you're between shows right now on Netflix or whatever. Most of us have a show where it's like you learn the characters and you know the storyline and what's happening. And some people, you like comedy. Like, who doesn't like a good comedy? At the end of a stressful week, you watch a comedy show. It's always good to laugh. The Proverbs even tell you it's biblical to watch a comedy. Uh, there's different shows. I don't, drama. I don't watch dramas. I have four daughters. I don't need more of that. Like, I'm good on drama. Uh, probably my favorite is action. I spent a lot of my life in offices, and so I probably like the idea of just guys jumping from a vehicle to another vehicle off a building trying to save the world. It's a little different than my world. And some of you like romance or sci- any Trekkies, any sci-fi. Is that how you do it? Or is it thumb in or thumb out? Is it in or out? I don't remember. Okay, hey, there you go. Uh, there's different, different types of genre, but whatever your genre is, you know that good writers know the value of a cliffhanger. That's why we binge watch, right? <laughs> you come to the end of a show, and there's more to it than what you just, it stopped, but it's not over yet. And some of you, maybe you've watched shows before, and you've seen this come up at the end of a show, this slide that says, to be continued. I remember, I'm so old, I'm pre-Hulu and Netflix, just so you know. I remember when that would come up on a show, and you had to wait a whole week to get the next episode. Now it's like, next episode in 10 seconds, 9 seconds, 8 seconds, skip the intro, you're right back into it. 
But sometimes what happens is you're watching a show and it comes to the end of a season and they haven't even written the next season yet, right? And maybe some of you like political shows, maybe that's one of the genres that you pick and there's a president and there's a shooting at the end of the show and you don't know if the president got shot or the secret service or his wife or what happened and then there's just like blood there and you don't care if it's secret service, you just want to know, like you didn't care about that, like you just want to know the president gets shot or maybe it's a romance and it comes to the end of a season and there's a wedding that's taking place and you like the guy who's at the altar, you don't like the woman he's about to marry, you wanted to marry somebody else on the show and they're doing their vows and he slips and he says to somebody else's name. And then you wonder, are they still going to get married? Is he going to marry that girl? What's going to happen? And you got to wait to be continued. I told you last week, I was walking through the Holy Land, and we're going to these places where Jesus did miracles, synagogues where he taught, seeing the place where he was crucified, the empty tomb that we just sang about, seeing these spots. And sometimes when you come to church, it's like you just read one verse of Scripture or one passage of Scripture, and you can be like, that thing happened, and then this thing happened. You don't see how it all ties together. While I was there, I was just thinking to myself, so much of the Bible, it could just be like, to be continued, to be continued. But do you know what is it's most like that anywhere else in the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could all end with, to be continued. And then it gets picked back up. Part two, the second episode, is the book of Acts, which is where we're going to be today. And so I titled today's message, To Be Continued. And the question you should ask yourself today is continue to do what? What's God continuing to do and what does he want to do in and through you? So today as we look at to be continued in the book of Acts, will you join me in Acts chapter 1? The verses will be on the screen. We're going to focus in on verse 8, but I'm going to read to you from verses 1 through 8 so you get the whole context and you'll see exactly why I've titled today's message to be continued. The book of Acts could be called the Acts of the Apostles. If you've got a really old copy of the Bible, maybe it says that at the top. Acts of the Risen Christ. It's really the story of the beginning of the church. And before I even get to the passage, can I just tell you something so we're all on the same page? You are the church. This building is not the church. The programs we do, how great they are, small group, celebrate recovery, youth group, different programs we have, that's not, you are the church. Are you with me on that? Say amen. amen. All right, if you're not with me on that, we can keep staying there. I can stay there. And just so you know, too, I'm going to get to the verse, I'm going to start preaching to you. Listen to this. The church was not meant to be a hobby. The church was meant to be a, a movement of God. See, a hobby is something you do with your extra time on the weekend. And some people treat church like that. A movement addresses an issue that's supposed to be transformative. For a culture, for a people. The church was meant to be a movement, never meant to be a hobby. So let's read about it. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. See, now we're going to get to the Bible, and God's actually going to say something. I'm just talking to you right now. Listen to this. In the first book, O Theophilus. What first book? What are you talking about? The same guy who wrote Acts wrote the Gospel of Luke. So if you, if you want the full context of the book of Acts, go read from Luke 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1 and 2 tell about the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1 and 2 tell about the birth of the church. Both required the Holy Spirit, just so you know. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, he's not done. See the to be continued? Then he goes on here. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them, showing there's evidence of this, after his suffering by many proofs. So it wasn't just one appearance appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's what he's teaching them. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water. Just so you know, next week we're going to be doing our first baptism service as a church at this campus. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, we'd love to baptize you. We're going to baptize you with water. But, But listen to this. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
not many days from now. If the church didn't have that, we'd be, we'd be toast. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know, and many of us need to hear this, take note of this, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's his business, not your business. But instead, here's what you need to be doing. Don't be worrying about the date and time when Jesus comes back. Worry about the job you have until Jesus comes back. Here it is, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is an assignment that matters. A lot of times people will say, I want my life to matter. I want to make a difference. I want to leave a mark. I want to be a part of something greater than myself. I want the fact that I walked on this planet to, to, to have some kind of significance to it. And you know how many people, even Christians, spend a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to come up with how they're going to make that happen. It's interesting, I'm going to guess here that, that most of you, maybe 99% of you, have been to the ocean. I mean, we live, if you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, wherever you live in the Triangle area, um, it's a great place to live. Uh, two hours from the mountains, two hours from the beach, that's a plug from the Chamber of Commerce. If you're watching online, we'd love to have you move here, it'd be wonderful. We're only two hours from the beach. And so you go out to the ocean, you know when I say every time I go to the ocean with my family, I say the same thing every time. It's still here! And it's still doing the same thing. It's amazing. The waves just keep crashing on the shore. Like we were, we were singing the worship song today, the background, the waves just cra- they just kept coming and crashing on the shore. And then you look out and there's people surfing and bodyboarding and kids are jumping in the waves. You know how foolish it would be if I showed up at the beach with my bodyboard or surfboard and then I went out into the ocean and I started trying to create my own waves? You know how many Christians do that? Trying to make their life count? Instead, we need to get in the flow of what God's already doing. We're fighting against the creator when we try to come up with our own plan. He's got a plan. It's his movement called the church. And we get in the, the flow of what he's doing. He gets the assignment right here in this passage of scripture. There's a purpose for the church. And the purpose is broad. It's big. It's to glorify God. But there's a mission for the church. And it's that we would engage this world for Jesus Christ as his witnesses. We say it like this on our website. As we've been going through this series, we've been showing you some of the distinctives of our church. Uh, before this, there's a, there's a page that says that we exist to connect people to Jesus for life change. This passion that we have motivates us to encounter the living God. That was week one of this series. To equip one another to love and serve. That was week two. Then this week, to engage our world for Jesus. Under engage, it says this. Every follower of Jesus has a mission and an opportunity to make an impact daily. This means we are not consumers, let that sink in, but doers, let me just hear the word, but doers of the word, who pursue opportunities to engage others with the life-changing message of Jesus. This means we own our impact. Everybody's got a different responsibility here. We own our impact and that the love of Jesus compels us to live engaged on mission together. That's the movement that we're a part of. And that's how we express it as this church. Every movement, just so you know, addresses a problem. And so our first point today is simply this. There's a problem for you to own. There's a problem for you to own. There's a problem for me to own. There's a problem for us to own. There's a problem for you to own. Think about all the different movements that you could name. If you just start listing them out or if you Wikipedia, what are all the movements in American culture? What are all the movements in the world this weekend? You've probably heard some things. If not, you'll definitely hear some things today, tomorrow about the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr. giving that famous speech. Maybe you'll even turn your TVs on and you'll see uh, just clips from that speech, the I have a dream. It's a great vision speech. It's a great example on how to cast vision if you're like a leader in some organization. But what is he doing? He's addressing a problem. Famous lines that come from that speech, things like this. He dreams of one day 
And his four children will not be judged by the color of their skin, by the conduct of their character. What problem is he addressing? It's racism. It's not the problem of racism. There's no civil rights movement. Some of you may have seen this weekend there was a march, March for Life, the pro-life movement. Over 60 million children have been killed that have literally cannot speak. They're the most vulnerable of vulnerable, cannot speak for their own lives. I was told that the, the stats locally is that there are about 11,000 kids murdered in Wake County every year. It's in this triangle area. If there's no abortion problem, there's no right to life movement that addresses the problem. Me Too movement has been something that's been seen over the last year, two years. Well, if there's no sexual abuse, sexual harassment, none of that happening, there's no Me Too movement. The movement is dealing with a problem that's happening in our culture. The church is a movement. So what's the problem? It's different than what I bet most of us would guess. It's certainly different than what these original disciples thought it was. Try and imagine being these men. We're told in verses 9 through 11, they're gathered at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a mountain that overlooks the city of Jerusalem. You can look right into the city of Jerusalem. They're standing there at the Mount of Olives. But, but we read in verse 3 that Jesus has already appeared to them multiple times over 40 days. So Jesus is not appearing to them to prove. It's not for evidence that he's resurrected. He's already done that. And if you, you want to see some of those, read at the end of the Gospel of John after Jesus is crucified. They're locked in a room together. They're terrified. And Jesus appears in the room. Doesn't lock the door. Just appears in the room. They weren't scared before. They're scared now. And then Thomas says, I went there, I didn't see it. Then Jesus appears to them again. And then in case you think he's a ghost because he's appearing in locked rooms, in Luke chapter 24, he has a meal with them. He eats fish. And the fish doesn't just float through his body. Like he actually has a real body. He's really resurrected with them. And if you want to read about different appearances he had, read 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 mentions multiple. We're going to do a series. After we're done with this series, we're going to go uh, through a book study of 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about different appearances. One of them, he says, was to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. So back then, if somebody came to you and said, oh, I don't believe in the resurrection, go, go ask Bob. He saw it. He was there. There were eyewitnesses that saw this happen. The disciples aren't coming to Jesus on the Mount of Olives on this day to prove that Jesus is resurrected. This is a to-be-continued moment for them. And a to-be-continued moment, you're asking yourself the question, now what? Now you've been appearing to us for 40 days. You've been teaching us about the kingdom of God. But then look at what they're expecting in verse, verse 7. Have you ever noticed verse 8? Verse 8 is the popular verse. If you grew up going to church or maybe in Awana you memorized it. It says, you will be witnesses. But we oftentimes skip the first word. Have you looked at it? And we can put it back up on the screen here for you. The first word in verse 8 is but. That's a contrast word. They expected one thing, but Jesus saying, no, it's something else. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. In verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. Why? Because in verse 6, they asked this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted political power. That's not the problem. And some of us need to hear this. The problem for Christianity is not that we do not have enough political power in our country. The problem for Christianity is not the moral falling apart of our society and our culture. The problem for Christianity is not that we've been marginalized and we don't have a voice. The problem for Christianity is the lostness in our world. The problem, he said, no, you want political, you want Israel to be restored back to power? No, 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 that's not, you don't need to worry about that time period. God's got that. What you need to do, you need to receive spiritual power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power, and then you'll fulfill the assignment. You'll be my witnesses. What are you witnessing to? Something that you've seen and heard that other people don't know. 
See, the, the problem is, it's not that you need to get people to vote your way, think your way. Somebody's got to have the seat at the table as we talk about a wall. That's not the problem. We spend a lot of money as churches and Christians trying to get that stuff done. If we would funnel that money into God's actual mission, we're like people in the ocean. How much of that money has been wasted, by the way? We're trying to create our own way. We get in the flow of what he's actually doing. We're supposed to be witnesses of what? The glory of God. We've got a glory problem. You've probably heard the verse before, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Many of us think that means we, we've done naughty things and we don't measure up to God's perfect standard. Well, the word sin doesn't mean that you've fallen short. You, you don't measure up. You've missed the mark. But it doesn't say in that verse, for all have sinned and you haven't met God's perfect standard. The verse says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, the problem is that we don't think that Jesus is ultimately glorious. And so that's been a problem for all of us. The context for that in Romans chapter 3 is Romans chapter 1. The Romans chapter 1 says we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And that's what's happened all throughout our culture. It's happened to every person who's ever walked this planet. And you think about the exchange that takes place. If anybody, anybody's going to exchange something, so, you know, most common for us is a transaction with money buying a product. If some of you here, your jobs are to sell a product. And so you've got a product, say you sell whatever widget you sell, and I've got $10. I have to decide in my mind that your widget is worth at least $10 or more for me to give you my $10. And then we have an exchange. Well, Romans chapter 1 says that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We think the lie is more glorious than the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we exchange that, and the consequences are dire. But, but we don't want to think about that. In fact, some of you will just go, I just don't believe that. And that's the, your way of dealing with it. Okay, it doesn't change that it's true. And we don't want to think about how bad it is because we like the lie. Some of you know about, it was almost three years ago now, in 2016, uh, my daughter, uh, who was four years old at the time, was taken by a mentally ill man out of our front yard. And I won't share the whole story with you, but just so you know, those of you who aren't familiar with it, we did get her back. She wasn't physically harmed, but this man grabbed her out of our front yard, was running towards the woods with her. She was whimpering, scared. And he was saying to her as he was running towards the woods, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Can I tell you something? It's not okay. It's not going to be okay. If somebody didn't rescue her. We live in a place where there are a lot of people that they want to believe, it's okay. It's going to be okay. You want to exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's what we all do. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know the truth. And the people that believe in the lie, they've got a problem. And here's what has to happen. Their problem has to become your burden. For this movement to happen, their problem has to become your burden. And just to share with you, I'm going to share with you some statistics. I don't usually do this. It's not like a lecture or anything. But if you look at the statistics for the state of North Carolina, the most generous statistics say that 35% of people in the state of North Carolina, now remember, we're in the triangle. I don't know if you watch like elections. It's not like the most conservative spot, okay? Some people think evangelical Christian just as a political position. <laughs> so that's why they said yes on surveys. 35% of people in the state of North Carolina claim to be evangelical Christians. Do you know what that means? Out of 10 people you come into contact with, six or seven of them don't even claim to be headed towards a Christ-filled eternity. So when people die and everybody says, oh, they're in a better place. No, they don't even claim that they are. Why are we saying that? Because we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We don't want to deal with reality. And so is this the point in the sermon where you now tell me how bad hell is? 
Is this the place where I tell you about the, you know, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and the eternal torment and the worm that doesn't die? And, and do I, I could point you to the cross of Christ and the six hours of torment that he took and then talk, say that was hell on earth and that's for eternity. I'm talking about falling into the hands of an angry God. But I think that's emotion, that'll emotionally move some of us today. Maybe we'll repent. But, but how do you get to the place where you actually care about this problem? Where it lasts? How do you get to the place where, where Jesus, Jesus, they're standing at the Mount of Olives, they're looking down at the city of Jerusalem. Those are the people that murdered Jesus and he wept for that city. How do we get to the place where we weep for the Triangle area? Whether you live in Wake Forest or Apex or Cary or Raleigh, Durham, wherever you live, do you weep for that? I mean, not just to like shed a tear, like I'll pray, I care. I haven't wept over it, just so you know. Now there's a, there's a long season in my life where I would pray, Jesus, come back but not until my kids trust you as their savior. Do you know why? Because I couldn't bear the thought of one of my children spending eternity separated from God. But I'm gonna pray that for everybody. And why not? Why don't we care? It's like I say, you don't care. And you're like, I care, but not enough to own the problem, that their problem will become your burden, that that would be the driving force of why you got out of bed in the morning, that you'd realize that God brought you to Raleigh-Durham, not, not just so you get a better job and kids go to good schools and you can be by family or whatever reason you think you moved here, but he's got a plan to use you as his witnesses, but you've got to own this problem. Their problem has to become your burden. How does that happen? Well, I'm gonna, I'll give you a couple ways. This is a decision point in the message for you, just so you know. This isn't just for you to get information. You've got to decide if you're going to do something with this. Now, just here's the word, doers of the word. You start praying. So praying, God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. And it actually goes back to week one when we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and we were talking about the main point of that message was this, that we become what we behold, that we start to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. We start to become more like Jesus Christ a little by little, degree by degree, the passage says. So that means that our hearts will start to break for what breaks his heart. He wept over the very people that crucified him. And, and many of us, it's like, well, as long as my people are good, that's, I'm preaching myself right now, just so you know. My people, my family, and the people that, are, that I care about, but then there's like these random people, I don't remember, whatever, six out of seven people that I bump into. And see, their problem has to become our burden, and that will happen when we become more like Jesus Christ. You know another way that it'll happen? This is something you actually have to do. This isn't something just to know. As you start to invest eternally, I'm talking about your money, that you actually use your money to give it away to places that have an impact for eternal good. The ministries that actually do what we read about when Pastor Seth was having us read Ephesians chapter 2, the people that are without hope and without God hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and become reconciled with God, not just like that feed people, not just a nice place. There's a lot of things you can give to. A lot of people can get passionate about like kids not having parents, people not having food, but those are all temporary problems. We're talking about eternal suffering here. Their problem will become your burden. You know how that happens? You start giving money towards that. Now here, I'm not trying to, this message isn't about finances, training you on biblical finances. If you want to know about that, we've got a class on Tuesday nights. You can go to the information table at Financial Peace University. would love to have you be a part of that. I'm not talking about tithe, that you should tithe to your church. I'm talking about generous giving above and beyond that. And the Bible, so Jesus is the one who taught this. So Matthew chapter 6 says this. You would think that the Bible would say, wherever your heart is, that's where your money goes. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you want your heart to go somewhere, put your money there. So if you want to start becoming burdened for lost people, start giving your money to ministries that are seeing people saved. And your heart will start going towards those things. You have to decide what to do. It's not a fundraising thing. I'm just telling you, if you want your heart to break for what Jesus' heart breaks for, these are ways that you do it. Their problem has to become your and my burden for this movement to happen. 
There's a problem for us to own. But not only is there a problem for us to own, there's a plan for us to follow. And this plan is so significant, it gets mentioned not just in this passage of Scripture, but you can find it at the end of every gospel. Now remember, Jesus appears for 40 days, and if he's appearing for only 40 days, it's just over a month, but he keeps saying the same thing over and over again in different settings and in different ways with the same thing, guess what? It's important. And so you find it at the end of every gospel. It's the Great Commission. Matthew is the most famous one. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I can tell you to do anything I want. I've got all the authority in the world. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You'll be baptized. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm going to be with you in this process. You can't do this on your own. And Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Preach the good news to all of creation. And John, John says it different. I love John's way of saying it. In John chapter 20, verse 21. Just as the Father sent me, how did the Father send it? So I'm sending you to be continued. You're, you're the plan. See, you get that. We said that you're the church. Like this building's not the church. The programs aren't the church. You are the church. Here's some news for some of you. You are the plan. You're plan A. Here's the scary part. There's no plan B. God's got a plan to use you to reach this world for Jesus as you, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says it like this, are his witnesses. And then he goes and he says this place where it's at, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Now some of you have heard this verse so many times, it loses its punch. Like you got to understand what he's saying here. I'll talk to you about what a witness is in just a second. But to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, think about what that means. There's racial implications of this. There's geographical implications to this. What he's telling these guys, go, you're going to go and share this news with people you don't even like. Let that sink in for a minute as you think about your world. So you're standing there with Jesus. You can see Jerusalem. If you're Peter, you can look into Caiaphas' courtyard where you deny Jesus. You can see the spot where they crucified your Savior. And he says, you're going to go to Jerusalem. I don't, I don't want to tell those people. You're going to go to Judea. Judea, they rejected you multiple times in Judea. You did miracles and taught, and they still rejected you in Judea. You want us to go to Judea? Samaria? Have you, do you know much about how much Jews hated Samaritans? Have you heard people preach in John chapter 4 ever before? Or you, have you ever heard the story? you know why Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan? Because it was offensive. It'd be like me saying to you, let me tell you a story about the good terrorist. You'd be like, what are you, there is no, what are you talking about, the good, the good murderer? What are you talking about, the good murderer? So, yeah, that's why I told the good, you want us to go to Samaria? There's racial implications to that. The ends of the earth, that means Gentiles too. Amen, as a Gentile, by the way. That, this, this verse has some punch to it. He says, what are you going to do? You're going to be witnesses. What's a witness? Well, a witness is not somebody who just tells information. Some of you have been told before, you've got to go witness them. You've got to go door to door, tell people about Jesus. That's great. That's the method you want to use. But it's not just telling people information. What are you telling them? You tell them about what you've seen and what you've heard. That's why the, the, the disciples later, when they talk about this, like John in 1 John chapter 3, or ch chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I testify about what I've seen and what I've heard. We're telling you about what we've experienced with Jesus. When Peter and, and John, and they're standing before the very guys who crucified Jesus, the Sanhedrin, the ones that, that set up this whole deal to, so that he would be killed by the Romans. It's in Acts chapter 4 and verse 20. We have to talk about this. We have to talk about what we've seen, what we've heard. That's what a witness does. Think about the, imagine it like this, put it in our perspective. It's uh, courtroom language to be a witness. If you saw a crime, you could be a witness of crime. If you didn't see a crime, you couldn't be a witness of the crime. So imagine there's a crime, there's a terrible crime, and it pushes your buttons, whatever your buttons are. Injustice, some corporate executive stole a bunch of money and a bunch of people didn't get the retirement plan, or, or some sexual crime, or some racial crime, whatever it is that would like fan the flame in your heart. 
but you didn't see it, and you got asked to come witness, let me tell you something. The judge does not want to hear your opinion. He doesn't want you to give a speech on the topic. He doesn't want you to tell him how he needs to do his job. He wants to know, what did you see? What did you hear? Nothing? Next. You're a witness to what you've seen and what you've heard. So what have you seen and heard of Jesus Christ? Remember, what we have is a glory problem. Let me tell you something. If I'm not a believer, do you want to know from you? I don't want you to tell me about a guy in a book that you read about who existed 2,000 years ago. Tell me about the man who forgave you of your sins. I don't want to hear about some book you read by E.M. Bounds about answered prayer. Tell me about when you prayed and God showed up and did something. I don't want to hear about how God can heal. He can do all this. He can part the seas. Tell me what he's done in your life. Is he real? Is the story really to be continued? Or is it really just a story from a long time ago that makes me feel better about dying? Because we don't need to know about your beliefs. That's not what a witness is. Tell me what he's done in your life. Be like the Samaritan woman. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Be like Andrew when he grabs Peter. Well, I met the Messiah. you got to come meet the Messiah. That's what a witness is. And, and God's plan is you. And if you've experienced him, you are his witness. And think about that plan. Think about that plan too. He put you exactly where he wanted. You could have been on that mountain on the Mount of Olives that day. You could exist 100 years from now. You could live in Seattle. You could live in Dubai. But you live here at this exact time. Oftentimes when Pastor Brad's doing child dedications, he'll have me come and share with some of the families, and I'll ask him, what do you want me to share? And he always tells me the same thing. He says, remind them that God picked them to be the perfect parent for this kid. They're not the perfect parent. None of you are the perfect parent, just so you know. But you are the perfect parent for the child that God gave you, and that's why God gave you that child. None of you are a perfect Christian, but you're the perfect Christian to come into contact with the 65 to 70% of people that are headed for a lost Christless eternity that come across your path every day. So you're not the perfect Christian, but you're the perfect Christian to live exactly where you live at this exact time. And to come to, if God could bring his son in the fullness of time at the exact right moment in human history, if he can tell that little boy when he's packing his lunch, five loaves, two fish today, I got a plan you don't know about, then he has a plan for you. you get in the flow with what he's doing. He's got a plan. You you have their problem become your burden and you begin to follow his plan, that's the point. Follow his plan, you are the plan to be his witnesses and he's put you in the exact spot to do it. When we were in Israel, um, one of the things that happened while we were there is not only to go to the biblical sites, but we learned about the, the country and some of their history. And obviously, uh, you've all heard of the Holocaust. One of the things that we did while we were there is we went to the Holocaust Museum that was there. That was one of the more impactful things that I experienced. And it wasn't thinking about the six million people that died that were trying to exterminate the whole Jewish population or the 1.5 million children that were killed. Because when we were walking in, there were these trees that had been dedicated to non-Jewish people. They called them heroes of the Holocaust. And some of them are names you would have heard of, Oscar Schindler, Corey Ten Boom. There was one I had never heard of, some of you have probably heard of, but her name was Irina Sindler. So you can look her up on your own if you want later. And one of the things that struck me about her was she was not wealthy. She wasn't a political figure. She didn't have some big position. She was a social worker and a nurse. Maybe because my wife's a nurse. that got my attention. I don't know. But she wasn't Jewish. And she lived by a place in Poland where they were exterminating a lot of Jews, killing them, putting them in this ghetto, rounding them up, making them feel like that's where they're safe, and then taking them off to death camps, eventually going to kill them in that spot. And what she did 
is that their problem became her burden. And what she started to do is she forged documents, risked her own life to go into this ghetto and start talking to parents and saying to these parents, listen, if your kids stay with you, you're both going to die. But if you give me your kids, they might live. Can you imagine having that conversation with a parent? And she started rescuing children, smuggling them out of that ghetto in toolboxes and coffins and sacks of potatoes. There's all kinds of stories of the way she did it. And she created a network of people that she connected with to put them in, in Christian homes and, and orphanages. When all was said and done, she had gotten beaten. There's a, the story is, is crazy what she did. She rescued 2,500 kids out of that that would have been killed. God's plan to put her in that exact spot that their problem would become her burden. Why, why when hundreds, if not thousands of other people, they just close, close your eyes, close your door, be comfortable. You got my, I got my people, as long as they're safe. And what about us as Christians? The Holocaust, six million. Do you know how many people are headed for a crisis eternity right now if the most generous statistics are true? There's over 10 million people that live in North Carolina. If 35% of them Hey, I question sometimes if 35% of people that go to church are Christians, okay? 35% of people that claim to be Christians, are, this, say that's true. How many people just in our state are headed for a Christless eternity by their own admission? And God's plan is he's put you here, and you can pretend like it doesn't exist. I mean, you can close the door, or, you, or like Irina, instead of their problem is going to become my burden, and I'm going to use my life, even if it costs me my life, to make a difference in this problem, that's God's plan. You're his witnesses in this place, and he's put you in the exact place he's put you, the most wealthy, most educated time in all of human history. Do you think it's an accident he's got you here with your neighbors and your coworkers and the barista you bump into and the people who cut you off in traffic? Get them out of my way. That's how I do it. But those people need Jesus. And so their problem has to become our burden, and then we follow his plan. We are the plan to be his witnesses, but we can't do it on our own. Takes us to our third point. Our third point is this, that we must experience this promise. There's a promise for you to experience. There's a promise for you to experience. It's really interesting to me that if you look at verses 4 and 5, that Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem, and that and Jesus knows, he knows exactly who's going to die in the next days between when Jesus says this and when they receive the Holy Spirit. There are people that are going to die and head into a Christless eternity, but Jesus says to them, Wait. You can't do this. On, this is so important. You cannot do this on your own. Wait here until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8 says, and you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Let me tell you something. You can't do this on your own. You have to have the Holy Spirit. Now, Christians debate about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does it happen at conversion? Does it happen after conversion? Does it happen multiple times in your life? What happens in that moment? Is it revival? Does it come with sign gifts? There's all kinds of debates. You can read all kinds of articles. Here's what we know for sure. You can't be a witness without the Holy Spirit. And the church doesn't exist without the Holy Spirit. It's just a social club of moral people. Can I tell you something? Nobody's coming to Christ because you're moral. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, be ready to give an answer for the hope. Anyone that asks about your hope, <laughs> no one's asking about your hope because you don't cheat on your spouse. No one's asking about your hope because you don't cheat on your taxes, because you're a nice guy, because you mowed their lawn. Let me tell you why they ask about your hope, because your hope's different than their hope, because they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and if you've got the truth of God, you're living according to the glory of Christ. You know what that means? The Bible starts to become real to you. We talked about you, you become what you behold. As you start to go to the scriptures, you start to live out the scriptures. You ever heard this passage before? You heard people pray it when people are going through difficulty? I pray they'd have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That happens by the Holy Spirit, by the way. Do you know what that kind of peace is? 
That's a super logical peace. That doesn't make sense to a lost person. And so they want to know, how do you have that peace? They ask about your hope. Is anybody asking about your hope? A lot of times we go to that verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, talking about why we need to go share, and we should do it with gentleness and respect. The passage says, and it says, you should be asked about your hope. When you get asked about your hope, when you mourn, not like somebody who has no hope, you can mourn as a Christian, but not as someone who just has no hope. You mourn with a hope, and then people ask about your hope. That, w- that when you start to give towards things that aren't about just this place and just make you feel better, or because you get a tax deduction, because you're investing eternally, people go, what are you doing that for? Why are you living sacrificially for something other than this world? And you start to fall in that category of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is all about living by faith. And it shows all these people. You know what it says? They believed in a city whose builder and architect was God. They weren't living for this place. That's why Moses would leave a palace to lead people through the desert because he was living for the reward that would come, the reward of Christ. You start to live by faith. That requires the Holy Spirit in your life. Think about the guys in this passage of Scripture. He's talking to. He's standing here at the Mount of Olives. If I'm Peter, I'm just trying to think about what it'd be like. I'm at the Mount of Olives, and I'm looking down. I can see Caiaphas' house. I can see where I denied Jesus. I can see where he was crucified. And Jesus says, "You're going to be my witnesses." You know what I'm thinking? These guys got it. I already tried that. That doesn't work. If they want encouragement, they come talk to me. I'll, I'll encourage you. I'll pray for you. I'll give you a little bit of money. Not me. I tried it. So you tried it without the Holy Spirit, Peter. That's why every guy scattered. That's why Thomas going, I don't believe it. Unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Have you seen it? We haven't seen it. We believe. Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen, but they still believe. That's by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we can't be witnesses like they were witnesses. They actually witnessed the resurrected Christ. But as we believe their story, we can witness like they witness. Because we have the Holy Spirit. Because if you're, if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. And there are a lot of churches, they got a lot of people that aren't Christians. If you have the Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit to empower you to do this thing because it's a supernatural thing. It's not a political thing. This isn't some social thing that you're trying to do. This is a, God wants to rule and reign in men's hearts. He wants to use you. And you know what happens when that happens in the lives of these men? They're totally different men. The guy who denied in front of a servant girl, denied ever knowing Jesus, stands boldly before thousands of people and says, you killed him. You nailed the Lord to the cross. And they say, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And 3,000 people come to Christ. It's the birth of the church, Acts chapter 2. It's the same guy that one day is going to be martyred for his faith. In fact, the word witness eventually, not in the Bible, not one that was said by Jesus, but eventually becomes synonymous with the word martyr. Because so many people that were witnesses for Jesus died for their faith. And so Peter, the guy who denied before a servant girl, once filled with the Holy Spirit, then when he's going to be crucified, says, no, don't crucify me like my Lord. I'm not worthy of that. Crucify me upside down. Imagine that for a moment. Thomas, I won't believe unless I see. Gets speared to death preaching the gospel in India. The one, that, the one disciple who doesn't get murdered gets boiled. <laughs> John. Others get their heads cut off. Because you know what the Holy Spirit does? It takes incapable people, incapable people and makes them courageous witnesses. You and I are incapable of doing this on our own. When the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to give you the words to say. The Holy Spirit's the one that transforms you so you have something that you've seen, that you've heard. And some of you will be like, I can't witness until, you know, Pastor Scott's got to teach a class to tell me about if they say this, then I say that. That's a sales pitch. We're not going for that. You're supposed to be a witness. What have you experienced? What have you witnessed? How have your sins been forgiven? What is your story? You've got to own your impact because God's put you in your spot. 
to reach those people for Jesus. Different people than he has for me to reach for Jesus. And he put you at the exact spot he wants you. That's the plan. You're the plan. You're the witness by the power of the Holy Spirit to share that. And we want to be, we, you, you heard me say it when I was reading off the, the screen what our, our website says. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Can I tell you something? This is intentionally offensive. So if you want to email me, I'd love to talk with you about it. You do not need the Holy Spirit to be a consumer of God's word. You do need the Holy Spirit to be a doer of God's word. And as a church, our desire is we talk about wanting to encounter the living God, equip you. We want to equip you also to equip you to engage our world for Jesus. One of the ways that we decided to do that this week is as you're walking in, we've got little care packages that were out there. So some of you are walking by, you're like, Cheetos? I can take some Cheetos. And like, no, those are for you to give away, just so you know. And as you leave today, we're going to be handing these care packets out. Here's the, here's the hope. There's instructions on there. I'm not going to give you all the instructions. The hope is that, that God will use this to help make you more sensitive to the opportunities around you. That you'll take this, you'll put it in your car. And then when you see somebody who has a need, whether that's a homeless person on the side of the road or some kid who needs lunch or whatever it is, that then you'll take the care package, you'll share that with them. Maybe you'll get to know them a little bit. It won't just be like, hey, here you go. But you, you'll, you'll listen to them, get their name, their story. And then maybe you can share the hope that you have in Jesus with them. It's not a promotion for the church. It's for you to go. It's just an opportunity to give you. It's the A way. It's not the only way. It's A way for you to engage our world for Jesus Christ. To be a doer of the word, not to hear. You know, it's interesting. We talk about to be continued at the beginning of this message. And, and I read you verse 1. It says in the first book, the Office, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's to be continued. You know, Acts is such a great book. You should read the end of it. You know what the end of the book of Acts is like? It's like a Netflix episode. Paul's on, on trial in Rome. We don't know how it ends. Do you think it's unintentional by God that the book that talks about the church beginning doesn't have an ending to it? It's to be continued. He's still writing the story. He's continuing to work, and he's continuing to work through you and me here in the triangle. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill us in ways that we've never experienced before that we'd be bold for you. I pray that you ignite a passion, a flame in our hearts that would burn for you, that would drive us to behold you, that we'd become like you, that we'd equip one another to love and serve, and that we'd engage our world for your son Jesus, and that you would turn this world upside down. And that you would start with us by turning our worlds upside down. God, I pray you'd change values today. I pray you'd have people make commitments in this moment. I pray as we're coming before you, the God of the universe, this wouldn't just be a moment we have so we can get to lunch. But that you would do a work that would transform our lives, transform our families, maybe transform generations and our family tree. And this moment right now, as you speak to hearts, God, if there's somebody who needs to be saved, I pray you'd save them. Maybe you've heard me talk about this, and you haven't had an experience with your sins being forgiven. Then acknowledge your sin before God. We've all sinned, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. You thought something was more glorious than Jesus. You're just like the rest of us. But then you see the glory of Jesus on the cross, that he would go to the cross, not because of his sin, but because of yours. Then he would die, and he'd offer you life, and you want that life today, then ask him to be your savior. Ask him for forgiveness, and he promises if you call upon him, you will be saved. And if you trust Jesus as your savior in this moment, would you mark that on your connection card before you leave? I would love to personally give you a call this week and celebrate with you that decision. It's the most important decision you can ever make in your life, and then talk to you about how do you grow in this relationship with Jesus. And Father, I pray for those here that know your son Jesus maybe become apathetic or just love their comfort. God, that you would shake them and move them. And if you need to offend them or confront them, that's fine. But don't let us, don't let us just sit here and passively just wait for you to come back. God, you've got an assignment for us. Help us to fulfill that assignment. Make us aware of the needs around us. Make us burdened for the problems of the people around us. God, make us willing to sacrifice 
our own reputations or what somebody might think of us or our own insecurities for the sake of people spending eternity with you. God, give us a boldness that comes from you. Give us a love for you. In Jesus' name I pray.